The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. This part of the series, The Wife in Christ. If you have any questions about the message today, I would encourage you to send a text to the number that's on the screen. And then on Tuesday afternoons, Tuesday mornings at 11.15, we go online and we talk about those questions and a few other things that are going on. So over the past few months, the the purpose of this series has been to talk about the church, has been to talk about who we are as the church, who we are as as the wife of Christ, and our context has been the church at Ephesus. And the reason for that is is pretty simple. Um, We know more probably about the church of Ephesus than any other New Testament church. We talked about its beginnings in the book of Acts, and then we skipped all the way ahead to the end in Revelation chapter 2. And for this part of the series, we've been going through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, his uh, letter to the church at Ephesus. In the spring, we're going to come back to the series. We're going to talk about First and Second Timothy because Timothy was a pastor at the church there in Ephesus. Um, a few things I want to remind you of as we finish out this portion of the series uh, today. First off, Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesian church about five to seven years after he had founded the church. And by this time in history, Christians had been hearing for almost 30 years now that Jesus was going to return. And they were wondering when that was going to take place. The Christians in Ephesus would have been pushed to the margins of society. All of their friends and relatives and co-workers would have shunned them. They would, think, they would think that as Christians, if we were the church in Ephesus, they would think that as Christians we were fools for believing the things that we believed. Because at least they could go to the temple of Diana and they could, they could have a tangible uh, worship experience with a temple prostitute to demonstrate that, that there was actually a physical interaction between them and the gods that they worshipped. As Ephesians, we would be, we would be very tempted to lash out at our society. We would be tempted to lash out at the story and the narrative of the culture of its day. See, because when we lash out at the, at the society, this allows us to feel good about ourselves. Because when I respond to my neighbor and their sinfulness, we actually had this conversation uh, right before our 10.15 this morning. When I'm thinking about everyone else's sin, when I'm thinking about everyone else's brokenness, I don't have to think about my own sinfulness and my own brokenness. It allows me to deflect what God is doing in my own heart when I lash out at someone else's sinfulness. And in a lot of ways, I, that allows me a semblance of control. And the reality of it is we don't have a lot of control in our own world. It's not just our friends and family, though, that would be marginalizing us. Across town in Ephesus, there would be a Roman garrison, military garrison, and they had been called out over the years to put down a large number of riots and anything that would happen. And we're an easy target as Christians, so it's easy for them to blame us for things. A few years ago, when we had burned all of our books at the, at the beginning of our church experience together, and when we converted to Christianity, we actually would have affected the, the economy of the city. We would have taken money from people, which gives them another reason to come against us. And over the 
Over the past few months, I would like to imagine that, that when they received this letter from Paul, they probably would have done what we did. They would have read it in one sitting, and then they would constantly be coming back to it, working through it and talking about the implications that it would have had for them as a church. And there's an important thing to remember. The person that wrote this letter is the same Paul who started our church, and now he's in prison. And if the leader or one of the leaders of our belief system is in prison, surely there would be people in Ephesus that would be wondering what was going to happen to them. What were the implications of, of, of a church leader being in prison? What's going to happen to my own family in the midst of that? And I think we are tempted when we read a letter like this, when we hear a letter like this spoken over us, to, to think that these, are, these ideas really sound good. These are lofty ideas and lofty ideals for us to live, how we should treat one another. And Paul really makes it sound kind of easy, doesn't he? So let's hear how this book ends. This is Ephesians 6, beginning at chat, verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategy of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will be able to keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. To bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report about what I'm doing and how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother and faithful helper in the Lord's work. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, be strong. Put these things on. Stand your ground. Fight. Pray. Stay alert. But isn't this sort of more of the same of what Paul's been saying all along? Because many of the Ephesians certainly wouldn't have felt like they had any power to do any of these things. And if we want to be honest with this text today, many of us don't feel like we have any power either. 
many of us feel that we are beaten down. It's easier just to go home and watch Disney Plus and repeat and retreat into the vault of old Disney movies. Last week, uh, we received this Connect card, and I received permission from the person who shared it with us to, uh, to read it with you this morning. I've been struggling with my faith. Seems like when I feel things go great, I get knocked back. I cry out to Jesus and God and pray, and some days I feel as if he doesn't care. I don't like feeling this way and doubting my faith. I wonder how many of us would say that we identify with the person who wrote this card. Because like the people of Ephesus, we are surrounded by troubles. We're surrounded by, by a world of anxiety. We're surrounded by illness and financial problems. And the, the systems and structures, structures that are supposed to be for us often seem like they are against us. And the people that get left behind in the midst of our culture and society are often the ones that need it the most. Single moms and children, people who have no voice, and when they try to speak up, so often these are the very people that are silenced. These things that we experience, we've talked about them a lot, the circumstances and situations of our lives, the hardships and realities, they always seem to have the final say, don't they? It seems like rent is always due. And Scott Marsh told us last night, actually, that the Christmas season this year is six days shorter than it was last year. So for those of you that are struggling to pay your bills now and are aware that Christmas is now upon you and you have to figure out how you're going to buy things for your children. This is an incredible hardship. And like this person said on this prayer card, it's often in the midst of that that our cars need a repair or something breaks in our house. seems like the people who are supposed to be our friends when we go to work are the ones that are talking the most about us. And what we do in the midst of those things is, is we somehow tell ourselves that life is going to get better. It has to get better. When is it going to get better? At some point, is it going to get better? I want to read this Connect card to you again. I've been struggling with my faith Seems like when I feel things go great, I get knocked back. I cry out to Jesus and God and pray, and some days I feel as if he doesn't care. I don't like feeling this way and doubting my faith. I listened to a speech last week from a senator named Josh Hawley from Missouri. Um, this is in part what he said. I found it fascinating. In September, the Senate's Joint Economic Committee issued a new report of the soaring numbers of what we have come to call deaths of despair. These are deaths from suicide, from alcohol, from drug overdoses, and the numbers are shocking. Suicides in this country are at their highest level since 1938. Alcohol-related deaths the highest since the start of World War I. 
and drug overdoses are at the highest level ever recorded. The numbers are even more startling for the young. The number of 15 to 24-year-olds committing suicide is greater than at any other time since the government began tracking the data over 50 years ago. For girls and young women, suicide rates have doubled during the 21st century. Doubled. Taken together, nearly 36,000 American millennials died deaths of despair in 2017 alone. There's now a death of, from drugs or alcohol or suicide every four minutes in this nation. See, our culture is trying to constantly sell us a bill of goods that won't last when they're confronted with the realities of life. We talked about that last year when we went through the book of Ecclesiastes. You remember that when Solomon did all of these things? He had the, he had the means to research and study what provides meaning and value to people. And in every single one of them, he came up empty. So often then what we do is we, we try to place our hope and our trust in ourselves. We place our hope and our trust in our education, in our relationships. For many of us, we look to the size of our, of our bank accounts for our identity, for our meaning and for purpose. And when we do that, like the writer of this Connect card says, when we place our hope in those things that ultimately cannot give us hope, when we place our hope in those things and those things fail us, just when things start to look up, reality sets in. There are three theological terms that Christians have believed uh, for centuries that used to de- they used to describe God. These are the omnis of God. There's omniscience. That's the theological idea and concept that God knows everything. There's omnipresence. This is the theological idea that God is everywhere. And then there is omnipotence, that God is ultimately all-powerful. When I was in student ministry, I would tell my high school students, I would, I would summarize all of those up into one omni, and it was just omni-awesome. God is omni-awesome. So if this is true, if God is omni-awesome, if God is omnipotent and omnipresent, if God is omniscient, if that's true and if we actually believe that he is, we have to ask ourselves, what are we trusting in then? Why would we trust in other things? Why would we find strength in other things? Why would we look for those other things to give us hope and meaning and identity and purpose? Because the reality is, like the church at Ephesus, we need something to place our hope in. We need something to trust in. We need something to find our strength in. And like the Ephesians, we need to be reminded that that strength, that hope, and that trust, and that identity, and that purpose only comes from one place, and that's God. That is where we find our strength and I think we have to at some point also ask the question, what if, what if all of these circumstances and situations and hardships and realities, what if they're by design? What if there's a deeper purpose behind them? What if the, 
What if the reality of those hardships in our lives is somehow meant to reveal to us the reality that we cannot do it? I think, honestly, that is what the purpose of those hardships and realities are. So that we might come to the conclusion that I cannot do things on my own. I must have the strength of another. And what Paul is telling us here in Ephesians today is that that strength only comes from God. How does Paul do that? We're not going to go back and reread all of Paul's letters, but he says a few things that, that might be an encouragement to us when we are wondering if God truly is omni-awesome. Paul tells us and the Ephesians that, that you are loved and chosen out of your spiritual previous, your previous spiritual condition of death to be alive and to bring life to others. See, God loved you and he chose you out of that life. You'll live out your true calling for life through your relationships with God and your relationships with others, especially your church body. This is how we demonstrate this new life that we claim to have, that we claim that we believe in. So when we hear these things that that Paul tells the church at Ephesus, because we're human beings, what we often then try to do is do them under our own power. We think that we have enough to go on, so we do this on our own. We use our own strength. So So we read our Bibles and we pray and we check those boxes. We attend the the Sunday gathering and we check that box or we attend a small group and we check that box. And little do we know that often we are doing those things under our own strength. And this is why the last thing that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, the final thing is so important for us to remember. Through Paul, God is telling us that the only way that we can live a life that truly honors him is to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's the only way. No matter how good we are at reading our Bible every day, no matter how faithful we are at praying, no matter how perfect our attendance on a Sunday morning, no matter how morally upright we live in comparison to the lives of those around us. The final thing to remember is that it is only in God's strength that we can actually do the things that God has called us to do. Our needs are met in God alone, and he puts our needs and ourselves into perspective, and he cares, and he is sufficient for us. See, God is enough for us. God is out to reveal to us that we only need him. And that's a big reason why when we actually have an encounter with God through scripture or through prayer or through this gathering or through your small groups or or through worshiping God in music or any of the other dozens of ways that you can encounter God, it is only when we truly encounter God we feel so connected to him. I remember talking to students all the time who would come back, they would come back from camp or they would come back from a from a youth group trip 
And like six weeks later, they would ask me a question like, why don't I feel God at home like I do when I'm at camp? Like, why is there such a disconnect? And in the midst of that question, we always rewind. Well, let's see, what did we do when we were away? We engaged Scripture consistently. We were together as a body. We prayed for and we built relationships with one another and with God. So let's talk about how your last six weeks have gone. How is your Bible reading? How is your prayer time? How is your relationship building with other believers? And in 99.9% of those situations, those three things simply were not existent. It's amazing what happens when we live in the strength that God provides, when we live in his power. See, we have the need for divine action. We have the need for God to come into our lives and do the things for us that we cannot do. Paul's telling the Ephesian church that they need to be ready for war. And he tells them that it's not a battle that they'll be able to win with their own strength. God, in this story, God is the one who is omni-awesome. It's not us. And it's because we have a generous God that he gives us the things that we need in order to be victorious. We're in need of God's power because of the nature of our enemy. I think throughout history, it's been pretty easy for mankind to defeat other mankind, other men. It's pretty simple. Cain murdered Abel in a field. Moses killed an Egyptian. Jesus upped the ante, though. He said that if we called someone a fool, you may as well have killed them physically. We have to remember the nature of our enemy. And the Ephesians needed to hear that the war that they were fighting was not against other people. The Ephesians needed to hear that their enemy was a spiritual enemy. Their enemies were not their friends. Their enemies were not their family members. Their enemies were not their co-workers. Their enemies weren't even the Roman garrison that was across town. Their real enemy was the devil. And this is why Paul told them how to pray and what to pray for. Going all the way back to the beginning of Ephesians. Because only with spiritual wisdom and spiritual insight could they grow in the knowledge of God. Only with hearts that are flooded with light could they be confident in their salvation. Only with God's help could they see how powerful God was. Only with inner strength, only with roots going down into Christ, only by understanding God's love and his desire for our unity and maturity. See, these are the things that reveal the nature of the war. And this is why 
our enemies and their enemies were not flesh and blood. God's strength freed them up to love their enemies. God's strength freed them up to love the people who were hard to love, to love the selfish, to love people who had power and prestige and position, to love those who worshipped the goddess Diana through temple prostitution. See, God gives them strength because he is omni-awesome. And only an omni-awesome God can give the ability to fight this kind of battle. So he accurately identifies the enemy. See, truth and righteousness and peace and faith and confidence in salvation, these things only come from God. We cannot defeat a spiritual enemy in unspiritual ways. God is giving them access to who he is and the ability to be alert and to be persistent. God gives them this strength because he knows that there are going to be circumstances and situations and hardships and reality in their lives. He's giving them exactly what they need. He's not giving them more than what they need or less than what they need, but he's giving them what they need. And Paul isn't writing this. This is important to remember. Paul isn't writing this from a, from a lofty position in Jerusalem. Sitting in a synagogue telling the church of Ephesus how they are to live their lives. Paul's writing this from prison. One of the things that I like to do, and I've shared this with my small group, knowing kind of this full story, like if, if we were to relook at Ephesians 6, verse 19, and let's pretend for a second that the very first sentence, and pray for me too, let's pretend that that were on the bottom of this page. It was the last sentence. So knowing that Paul is in prison, and that's the last sentence on the page, I like to ask people the question, what do you think, before we turn the page, what do you think Paul prayed for? Paul's in prison, and he's asking them to pray for him. What do you think Paul prayed for? To be freed from prison, maybe? That the guards would lighten up on him a little bit? That the people would come to their senses and see that he was unjustly jailed? I think those are the things that we would pray for. Listen to what Paul says. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Do we recognize how powerful this is in our own lives? When we're in the midst of hardships, what do we pray for? God, get me out of this. End this situation. Deliver me from this time. 
that's not the example set for us. And I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for those things. I wouldn't blame Paul one bit if we would have flipped the page and that's what it said. But Paul has something else in mind for believers. He has something else in mind. And Paul is living out this message. He is asking for them to pray for him so that he would be bold and confident. That he would see his own jailers and persecutors not as enemies, but as people who are spiritually dead and in need of the life that only Jesus gives. This is incredibly powerful for us. This is hope-filled. This is, this is Paul living out his faith. He's not just saying things and not living it. And I wonder what it would be like for us in the midst of our hardships and circumstances to pray similarly. What an amazing witness and example that would be to the people of our world to see us and to hear us and to experience us praying in ways that are so starkly contrasting to the way the world lives. I think we need this exact same power because we've forgotten who our own enemies are. We like to go online, share Facebook videos of people getting destroyed. We call each other names like liberal or conservative or Democrat or Republican, racists, tree huggers, flat earthers. We discount entire generations by talking about them as millennials. Or my least favorite phrase, okay boomer. See, we laugh about that. And I get it because it's kind of funny. That's why I said it because it was going to be a funny, funny moment. But I wonder who we are, who we think we are, that we can just discount an entire generation. Like, let's have some real talk for a second. Who do we think we are that we can just write people off that way? We just discount anything anyone has to say or someone has to say because they vote differently than we do. What, what gives us that right? See, we don't have that right. Our enemy is the same enemy that the Ephesians faced. And God has equipped us to face that same enemy in the same way that he equipped them. Like Paul and like the Ephesians, our situations and circumstances, our hardships and realities, those are the evidence that we're at war. That's the evidence, that's the proof that we're fighting a battle. About a month ago, we were in our, in our regular Monday morning staff meeting, and my phone rang, so I looked at it, and it was, it was from John Thomas, one of our elders here. So I thought, oh, I wonder why John's calling me. I should, I should answer this. So I picked it up, and I said, hi, John. And he said, hey, John. Um, he said, I have a question for you. Um, do you ever think about mountain lions when you're out running? That was his question. <laughs> that was my response. Like, I started to laugh. I'm like, what in the world is this all about? 
John proceeded to tell me um, in like an eight to ten minute long phone conversation of all of the different mountain lion encounters that he had heard about as an extension um, person in, in Nebraska. Um, encounters with mountain lions in Colorado and western Nebraska, just like over the last six or eight months, he's just telling me just this litany of all of these things. Um, he's telling me that what I need to do if I encounter one. Um, he tells me that I should not turn and run because it's probably going to catch me. Um, I shouldn't sit on the ground. Instead, I should, be, I should be loud and aggressive. I should probably move toward it. And if it attacks, he told me I need to be ready to fight for my life. See, we've been given spiritual power and spiritual strength from God for a reason. Because as Christians, as believers, we are in the fight of our lives. And the only way that we will emerge victorious is to use the tools, to use the strength that God has given us. We're not enough in our own strength. We won't win, we can't win. We need him. We need to utilize these things that God has given us. Righteousness and truth and peace and faith and salvation and the sword of the Spirit. This is how we win this war. We've talked a lot over the past few months about the circumstances and situations and hardships and realities of life. They're not going to go away. Those things are not going to go away. They're never going to go away. And anyone who tells you that as a means to, to, to get your salvation or to get your money is not telling you the truth. See, on the night that Jesus was betrayed and murdered, he said this to his disciples. Here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. This is the victory that's promised to the disciples of Jesus. This is the victory that was promised to Paul. This was the victory that was promised to the church at Ephesus. And it's the victory that is promised to us as Christians. The person who wrote this prayer request is living in a powerful moment. And this is, what I, this is what I told her when I met with her earlier this week. This person is living in a very powerful moment because she has reached the conclusion that the only thing worth hoping and trusting in is Jesus. That's what this, that's what this card is saying. And I'll just ask you the question, are you there? Are you ready to only find your hope and your trust and your strength in God? And if you are, will you put it on? Will you stay alert and will you pray? Let's pray. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. And may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. 
May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.